Church. We are thrilled you decided to listen to our teaching on your favorite podcast app. If you made a decision to follow Christ today, would you let us know by visiting yes.newlifechillette.com. Here is this week's teaching. Let me say welcome to those of you who are watching online, to the guys over at the prison, to our friends at the jail, and those of you who are here in the room. Have you ever had to teach on a topic that you absolutely sucked at? Uh, That is me today. Today we are talking about resolving conflict and about how as leaders in whatever leadership role we find ourselves in, we usually find ourselves in the place when we need to resolve conflict, whether that conflict is between us and somebody else or maybe two other people that we need to moderate and, and help them come to a conclusion. This has actually become a major part of my job. It amazes me how often you guys fight each other. About enough spouses. No, um, but this does happen. This is a part of life, and we recognize that if we are going to survive, somebody has to make peace, right? Somebody's got to bring people together and find common ground. In fact, Jesus says, God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. He's saying the ability to resolve conflict is actually evidence that you are a child of God. Like if you want to look like God, figure out how to make peace in an unpeaceful situation. And here's the good news. We actually have an incredibly helpful outline in scripture about how to handle conflict. Jesus himself gives us an outline. And he starts his outline like this. He says, If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. And this is the big step. This is probably the most important step, but it is a step that most of us skip, right? We skip over going to the person that offended me and we just go straight to gossip. Do you know what so-and-so did to me? Or did you hear what so-and-so did? And we just skip the step of going to the source, and we go straight to gossip. And then Jesus goes on in this passage to give a step-by-step outline. So I encourage you to look it up. Matthew 18 goes through a step-by-step outline about how we should settle disputes in the church. And it's very helpful. I'm not going to go through all of it, primarily because it would take the whole message and you'd probably forget most of the steps in the meantime anyway. So instead, I'm going to quickly go through an acronym that I've come up with that I think outlines similar to what Jesus says and makes it a little bit more memorable. I'm spelling the word pray. This is what we pastors do. So I'm spelling the word pray pray with this acronym. How to resolve conflict. Step number one, prepare. And yes, preparation involves pray in and of itself. Before we ever start the conversation, before we go and gossip, before we get too upset, we go privately to the person. What does that mean? It means we have to schedule a time. We have to be intentional. And scheduling a later time gives us time to, re- to remove us from the emotions of the situation, remove as many of the emotions as possible, and then plan some questions. We're going to come in with some, not a bunch of statements, because this is what we do. Like, we replay the conversation in our head, and we're going to have a great comeback for everything they say, and, and we've got all the right answers, and some statements, Instead, it's a better strategy to come to the conversation with questions. Hey, help me understand 
why you said what you said. Help me understand why you believe what you believe. Come to the conversation with questions, and that's going to require you to do step two, research. Research. This is when you ask the questions, is there any agreement that we could possibly come to? Let's, let's search for an answer. And if you too are searching for an answer in your conversation and, and you can't come to it, then you bring in outside. You bring in a moderator. You bring in advice from somewhere else. Can you help us? Maybe we're not seeing it. What is a conclusion? What is a middle ground we can come to? And so usually that involves a statement like this. I know I'm not going to get what I want, but is there a middle ground that we can come to that we can both be okay with? And really, step one and two is, the, is what Jesus's Matthew passage describes to us as the steps to resolve conflict. And then comes the hard part, you've got to agree. This is really hard, but it has to happen. Like, the enemy in this conversation is not the other person. The enemy is a lack of agreement. Don't be like Congress. Compromise. Sit in a room until you find a middle ground and allow yourself to be okay with the uncomfortable middle ground. Maybe in a simple example in your house, you're talking to your spouse. Who's going to do the dishes? I don't want to do the dishes. I don't want to do the dishes. I did the dishes yesterday. Yeah, but I did it the two days before that. Well, how about this? I'll do the dishes if you change the diaper. Never mind, I'll do the dishes. And then you go back and forth. You figure out who's going to be okay with what. We, we do this regularly in life, but it, when the emotions get higher, it becomes more difficult to come to these common middle grounds. Then we yield. And you say, wait, why would I yield? We've already come to an agreement. Because here's the problem with agreements. Number one, the person you made the agreement with is not going to fulfill their end of the deal like you want them to. They're not going to, they're going to, maybe they misunderstood the agreement or they understood it differently than you did, or they're not holding up their end of the deal. And at some point you have to just say, give grace. I get it. We're not going to get what we want. And also you have to yield because in that agreement process, sometimes you're going to start doubting. You're going to start, why did I make that agreement? Why did I say I would do that? I don't want to do that. And it's in those moments when you start second guessing the commitment that you make that you have to yield and say, you know what? I'm going to do it anyway. I made the agreement. Jesus also says, those who are last now will be first then eternally. And those who are first now will be last eternally. This is a big statement. This is a prediction of your future. Choose not to get what you want, Christians. Choose to go second. Choose to sacrifice. Choose to serve. Because ultimately, what does grace require of, of us? If we are going to be graceful people, if we are going to align our faith, with, put our faith with God and align ourselves with his grace, and that grace is going to change us, then we have to ask ourselves the question, what does grace re require of us? And grace requires us to be graceful. We choose to be okay with unfair. Why? Because grace treated us unfairly, thank the Lord. We praise the Lord that we did not get what we deserve. It's easy to say, hard to do. Jesus said, if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar, he's talking to a Jewish audience who sacrifices 
animals on an altar to the Lord. If you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Now, this is totally backwards. This, for, for religious people, they're thinking, okay, I'll, I'll deal with the relational stuff later. I got to go present a sacrifice or I'm going to go to hell for this. I need some forgiveness. I need to cover up some sins or something. I got to take care of myself and then I'll go deal with the other person. When I'm spiritually mature, then I will forgive. No. Jesus says, put others first. Put the relationship first. He says, go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Okay, but what are we sacrificing, Christians? Because we're not the Jewish. We're not under the Jewish covenant. We don't have to offer sacrifices on an altar for the forgiveness of sin. There was one sacrifice that covered all sins. So now we don't have to offer any sacrifices, right? Well, we don't offer sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins, but we do follow the example of sacrifice. Christ's example of sacrifice. I'm not under the law to sacrifice, but I'm going to sacrifice my opinion. I'm going to sacrifice getting what I want. That's the Christian way. I'm going to sacrifice comfort. That's the Christian way. I don't know. I live in India. We don't know. Getting offended is something privileged people do. And we just got privileged last week. It's very exciting. Now in the West, you've had privilege for years. You've taken a taking offense to another level. Like Americans can get offended on other people's behalf. It's a, it's a very American thing. I'm offended for you. What you went through is so stressful. I'm going to take the day off. <laughs> but you're very proactive. You're all about justice. You see something wrong on the streets, you take your phone out and you film it. What you're doing, you say, is wrong. You're going to go viral. There are going to be consequences. Every time an American films a hate crime, in the background, you can see an Indian just walking to work. I didn't see anything. I don't have my green card yet. Yes, there are hard, difficult conflicts, painful conflicts. But if we're honest, most of the conflicts that we see in this world are just dumb. Most of the offense that people take, you're just like, come on, get over it. It's just privileged offense. We can't fight someone every time that we don't get what we want. Every time we're uncomfortable, we can't take offense to it and decide that that is a battle that's willing to, that I'm willing to fight. Sometimes we just have to get over it. We have to learn to move past offense. To take the emotion that you feel when you are offended or when you're angry or when somebody hurts you and just say, you know what? I'm going to just leave it. I'm not even going to address it. I'm just going to move on. I'm not saying bury it down and let it bottle up so that later it boils over. I'm just saying, like, take some deep breaths. Remind yourself of how you have been forgiven. Put everything into perspective about how blessed you are and how good you have it and move on. So often we're, we're offended and number one, we either fight back. You know those people that are like, fight every battle I see to possibly fight. Or 
probably more common, we isolate. We get offended, we take our ball, and we run away. Did you hear about the claustrophobic astronaut? Turns out he just needed some space. (laughs) Joke just keeps on giving. We do not have a right to freedom from offense. When we start thinking that not being offended is our right, when we start thinking that somehow the founding fathers or God gave us the right to not be offended, then all of a sudden the social, social justice church wants to rise up and fight everybody, battle for everybody who's ever been offended. Oh, that group is offended? We got to fight for that group. Oh, that group it doesn't feel like they're getting what they deserve? We got to fight for that group. That, and everything becomes a worthy battle because we see everybody's offense as, an, as impinging on somebody's freedom and we end up fighting too many battles and we end up losing too many, too many battles. Our goal isn't to protect people from offense. Christian, our goal is to grow thicker skin. Our goal is to figure out how to not be offended so easily and not to allow other people's actions to offend us because we get up on this pedestal and we think we're so great and we would never do anything like that. And so when somebody else does it, we just get angry. That's not who we are. Look at the Christ we follow. Look at Jesus. Look at the life he lived. If anybody had a reason to be offended, yet he's hanging on the cross saying, forgive them. He's being crucified for something he didn't do and he's sitting up on the cross saying, forgive them, Father. That's who we follow. Paul says, make allowances for each other's faults. Make allowance, like, like, Accept the fact that people are going to screw up. Accept the fact that people are going to offend you. Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. You know, the church celebrates the fact that we are all in process, that we're all growing, that we're all screwed up, that we're all messed up. I went to that church and I saw people smoking outside. They're a bunch of hypocrites. Yeah, well, they were shooting up last week progress, okay? We're growing, maturing. And to receive grace without giving grace is self-righteousness. I can't judge you because I need grace too. Because we are all flawed, we are all growing, we're all maturing, we're all hypocrites. We're in this place because we need healing, because we need to grow. People outside the church are trying to judge. Have you noticed that the look of the people who are judgmental now has changed? Used to be when you pictured judgmental people, you pictured like some high and mighty religious person. No, actually, the type of people that are judgmental in our world are often judging the people in the church. Like we're not good enough, apparently, because we serve a perfect God. They expect us to be perfect somehow. No, you're just a bunch of hypocrites. Yes, we are. Come join us. So are you. Let's all grow together. Because brokenness in the church is not a new thing. This is who we are. This is what we were created to be. It's been that way from the beginning. Why? Because the church is made up of people. And we're screwed up. Very very early in life, we start believing that it is our job to kill bad guys. Remember that as a kid? 
I wanted to kill so many bad guys as a kid. And so what ends up happening is we create very early categories of who is the enemy. Who do I divide myself from? Who am I opposed to? Who do I separate from? And then we create these gaps between us and them, and we begin to hurl judgment over on the other side. All the while forgetting that God, our, the one we say is our Lord, that we follow, is forgiving them and is telling us to love them. The reality is, as Christians, our mission is gracious and loving. The other day, my sons were in the uh, room, the next room, playing together. And my oldest son, Lincoln, says to my youngest son, Titus, Hey, Titus, we're brothers, right? Titus didn't answer. Lincoln said, You want to kill bad guys together? Part of me is thinking, Yeah, go get them, boys. I want to raise some dragon killers. That's what I want. And that's good, right? I mean, God put that in them. That is not a sinful desire in them. God put in them a desire to fight for what is wrong, fight against what is wrong and fight for what is right. That is a good desire to want to fight for freedom, to want to fight for goodness. But as we mature, we start to learn what is the best fight to fight? What is the most evil that is worth me fighting? we start asking ourselves the question, who is our enemy? Because we were born with the desire to fight for what we believe in, to stand up for justice. But like most desires, that desire can run out of control. And we end up fighting everything that we disagree with. My opinion becomes the ultimate good. And if I fight against everybody I disagree with, I lose everything. So we need to know who is our real enemy. Christians. This is important for us to know. If we're going to pick battles, we have to know who is our real enemy. Paul tells us overtly. He says, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. When you are in an argument with your wife, she is not the enemy. When you are in a disagreement with somebody at work, when you are in a disagreement with somebody at church, the person you're arguing with is not the enemy. You have conflict that needs to be resolved, but you are both working to resolve the conflict so then you can again be on a team fighting against the true enemy. And the problem is you can't know your enemy unless you know who your leader is. I'm saying that again. You cannot know your enemy unless you know who your leader is. That's how we pick sides. Who are you following? You're following someone that is telling you that this is who we fight against or this is what we fight against. And you're fight following somebody, whether it's an accident or it's an intentional. Some of you are like, I'm independent. I don't follow anybody. You're not independent. You follow somebody. Now, some of us avoid following, like we're kind of a rebel at heart, and I don't want to really follow anybody, so we end up following another rebel, and we feel more rebellious because everybody follows somebody. So pick intentionally. Pick a leader. And you have choices. You can pick a celebrity. You can pick a politician. You can pick an athlete. You can pick... 
whoever you want to. Or you have this really cool option. You can pick God. I guess an option that's on the list of potentials. He came to earth to show us how and said, hey, live life this way. So who is your leader? I think it's important to name them. Like say, say their name, write their name down, put their name on stuff. Who is your leader? Who have you decided I'm going to follow this person even when they take me places I don't want to go? Even when they tell me hard things. And this is, you don't, you don't just have to have one leader. If you say, okay, I'm following God. You say, who else is following God? I'm going to follow their example. You say, I, I'm going to be challenged by these people. I'm going to be stretched by these people. But at some point, I'm just going to say, I will follow. There's a downside to extreme independence. And independence is a good thing. that We use independence in America quite in healthy ways, but we can also take it to unhealthy extremes. If we become too independent, we never actually become the people God created us to be because what did he tell us? He said, we are the body. United. We were created to grow in community. And when you grow in community, there is conflict. There is pain. In that, unif- in that uniting, in the marriage of people, there will be conflict and pain. And part of the process of uniting is learning how to work through the conflict so that we can then become a team, a family, a body. Pick your leader and follow them even when it's uncomfortable. Jesus said, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Why does he say this? He's saying this because he knows that if you pick him as a leader, at some point he's going to say something that offends you. And you're not going to like it. It's not just going to be hard to hear. It's going to require some changes. It's going to require you for you to get for, give up something. Surrender something. More specifically, Jesus here is talking to religious people who have decided that they are going to get to God one way. And he's here to tell them, actually, there's now only one way to get to heaven. And it's not the way you think. You're about to be offended by what I tell you. And then there's a long list of things that Jesus would say that would end up offending people. Eat my body. Gross. Drink my blood. Gross. It's offensive. Jesus, one time, somebody asks him, should we pay taxes? Hoping that he says no, right? He says, no, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. No, stop talking, Jesus. I don't want to hear this. That's not what I wanted you to say. His reply completely amazed them. Wait a minute, Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Aren't you the king? Aren't you the one that's going to establish this new authority and overthrow the government? And we're going to follow you instead of them. And we're going to stick it to the man and rebel against Caesar. What do you mean give to Caesar what is Caesar? This isn't who we are. I thought we were following you instead of him. There are things that I want to say all the time from this stage. And it is a constant battle to decide. That's not going to be received too well. I can think of a category of people or a group of people or an individual who's really not going to like it if I say that. So then I have to tell my, ask myself every single week, is it worth it? Is it worth the pain that it would be, that it would be caused, that would be caused if I said that? It's constant wrestling. 
And it's one thing to do that when you're like planning out a sermon. It's another thing to do that in conversation. And so I think good leaders are doing this all the time. And every conversation I have in the office throughout the week or in my home when I'm talking to my kids or with whoever I happen to be leading, in every statement I say, is this really worth saying? Is this just me wanting to get something off my chest so I can feel better? Or is this actually a challenge that I need to be, deliver? Is, do I actually need to make them uncomfortable on purpose? Because this is the reality we live in. This is the world we live in. We live in a polarized world and picking one leader means that you're going to push against another leader. You're going to be going in opposite directions. But how dumb would it be if I pick the leader on the right, but then I actually row in the direction of the leader on the left? If I say I follow one leader, but I actually do the things of the other leader. And I think this is what we do a lot in the church. I say, yes, I'm a Christian. I am a Christian means Christ follower, Christ one. Okay, I'm a Christ follower, but then I fight battles just like the rest of the world. I'm a Christ follower, but I'm going to put a lot of other things above him, before him. We say we follow one leader, but then we live life in the way the other leader tells us to. James tells us, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourself. We say we follow God, but we repeat political talking points as if they're biblical. We don't put them through a biblical filter, a biblical worldview. Listen, the Bible is truth, whether the world agrees with it or not. The Bible is truth, whether it's comfortable to us or not, whether it goes along with what society wants us to say or not. The Bible is true and we follow it, whether we like it or not. We preach it even when we hate what it says. So yes, sometimes am I going to have to get up here and say something that scripture says that I know is going to offend some people? Yes, sometimes. So I think it's important for us to ask the question, who are you following? Is Jesus actually the Lord of your life? If he is, you now know your enemy. And it's not the person you're in conflict with. Who are you following? Are you committed to whatever he teaches you to do, even if it's to give grace when you don't want to give grace? Even, it's, even if it's to say, I'm sorry, even if you don't feel like you did anything wrong, or to forgive somebody? Because that's what he commands of us. He does not command us to fight the way the world fights, to get even, to get our way. Don't just listen to what God's word says. Don't just say that you follow God's word. Actually do what he says. Follow Christ's example. Because when I look at this picture, I don't see Republicans and Democrats. I see two worldviews. You got a Christian worldview and you got a secular worldview. And following one leads you in the exact opposite direction of the other. Following Christ will require you to be a rebel sometimes. It will require you to do things that is in direct opposition to what the world tells you you should be doing. Yet we keep fighting the way the world does. Christians, our fighting method is grace. To not get what we want. God, I pray that you will make us more like you. We surrender to your way, even when it means we will be uncomfortable. We love you, amen. Thank you.
I see the power in your eyes 
Hey, uh, we are in a book, in a series called Acts, and you're saying, hey, you have not shared a, perf- a single Acts passage yet. Uh, Mike, why are you back up there? Let's do another song. That's how I feel. However, we got to dive into the Acts passage. We'll go quickly. Um, in this portion of the Acts story, everyone's happy. Everyone's getting along. The church is growing. Gentiles are coming to Jesus, and everything is good, and everybody's happy until conflict. Some of the believers start sharing their opinion. Some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised. Yes, that was a Jewish thing. If you wanted to show you were Jewish, that's actual circumcision. That's what we're talking about. The Gentiles also must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. So these are Pharisees talking like Paul. They're Pharisees who started following Jesus and they, they prove that legalistic Christians, Christians who try to make serving the law necessary for following Christ is not a new thing. The Pharisees are like, nope, you got to look like us. You got to do the things we do. We've come up with a bunch of rules that we would like you to follow so that you could look like us. That's our plan. So what did the disciples do? The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion. So we got a meeting. Step one, that's the P and the R of pray. Step one, set up a meeting. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. After much discussion. The Greek word there means much. So there's the preparation and research. They set time aside to discuss, to hear all the different perspectives. Then they came to a conclusion. Resolving conflict. And what was the conclusion that they came to? They said, brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them. God, who knows the heart. What's the new How do do we now decide if we're accepting or not? God knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. So the circumcision battle, not a battle worth fighting. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith, not by the law, not by circumcision. There's so much in this passage, I wish we could spend, do a whole series on just this passage But all of these people are believers. Some of these believers are trying to obey Jewish laws, maybe for cultural reasons. Maybe that's just because that's what they grew up with and they wanted to continue to do so. But they then want to enforce their opinions, their ideas, their, their habits on other people. You need to do it our way. And these people, also Christians, aren't convicted by the Jewish law. Why? Because they're not Jews. But yet all these people, no matter matter which norms you see in their life, received the Holy Spirit. God gave his spirit to all of them. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke or a burden that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. You're picking the wrong battle. Why was the law given to the Jews? 
We're told multiple times throughout Scripture, read Hebrews. The reason the law was given to the Jews is so that they would recognize that they couldn't obey it. They, they couldn't, no matter how hard they tried, they fell short of the law. And the law wasn't even a comprehensive list. You could obey all the law and still not be perfect. He just gave us enough laws to show, see, you can't do it. You can't be good enough. There's a new way, a new battle to fight. So James, Jesus' brother, stands up and says, It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. We're going to lighten the load. So they came to a conclusion, a resolution. What was the resolution? It was grace. Choose not to get it your way. Choose not to get what you want. And then he goes on to say, and Gentiles, by the way, you should probably be graceful too. Here are some things that you can do to help out your Jewish brothers who are offended by your actions. It's like, let's come to a middle ground. Let's have grace with each other. Let's none of us get what we want. So what conflict is there in your life? What conflict do you see that needs resolution? And how could infusing grace into that situation and not getting what you want, not getting your opinion, not saying what you want to say and just get it off your chest, how could seeking resolution through forgiveness and peace allow you to resolve conflict in an almost supernatural way? I pray that in this season, maybe today you spend a day in prayer saying, God, would you release the burden of getting even from me? Would you release the burden of saying what I want to say? Or would you release the burden of anger or hatred or frustration or lack of forgiveness in my life so that I can reconcile with somebody that before it seemed impossible? I'm not saying shove down your emotions down deep. I'm saying give them to God. If you just shove them down, they're going to boil up later when you lose control. Give them to God. Recognize the grace that you've been given and give that kind of grace. God, I thank you that we cannot possibly be good enough for your standard. I thank you that you reveal that to us in such a way that you give us a better option, grace, forgiveness. God, I pray that you would allow our faith in you to align us to your grace so that we would become graceful. That we would give grace. That we would give forgiveness. Make us leaders in the way that we can reconcile people to each other. And in a world that tends to be so polarized, we can find middle grounds. We can find things that we have in common when it seems we are polar opposites. God, would you remind us who our leader is and the life that he lived? We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.